Yesterday I began this series on the significance of Radha Krishna Bhakti in Kalyug by saying that the whole series would be based on one Vedic mantra. Tameva viditvati mrityumeti nanya pantha vidyate yanaya. This is from Shvetashvataropanishad. And as I explained yesterday, it indicates three things. One who must be known, the one who has to know that one. And it also says, by knowing him, he crosses over this ocean of life and death. So that who must be known is God. The one who must know God is us. And that which must be crossed is Maya, the ocean of cosmic existence. I told you that just by taking this one mantra and going deeper and deeper into the philosophy of Sanatana Dharma, we can understand all the major points related to bhakti and the path to God. The first thing we have to determine is why do we have to do bhakti? Why is it important? So, Yesterday I started to answer this question by telling you that what is it that we want? We all want something. And that something is the same for every single person, which is really amazing since there's so much variation in the world. You can't find two faces that match, not even identical twins. Not even if you had a photo of every person who's ever lived on this earth planet in millions of years, even then you couldn't find two identical matches. No two voices match. What to say of our thinking? <laughs> our thinking is even more distinct. So how could it be that we're all desiring the same thing? Well, we all want happiness, that much we learned yesterday that happiness is our ultimate goal, and God is that happiness. Ananda evadhastat, ananda uparishtat, ananda purastat, ananda paschat, anando dakshinataha, ananda uttaratha, ananda evedagvam sarvam chando gyopanishad. God is happiness. There's happiness above him, below him, to his left, to his right, in front of him, behind him. He himself is not just overflowing with happiness, but is happiness. And it's that happiness that every soul desires. We even discussed the point, what about Dukh Nivritti? Ananda Prapti means the attainment of happiness. What about relief from sorrows? Some people and some traditions even within India teach that the ultimate goal is to receive relief, permanent relief from all suffering and sorrows. All kinds of suffering. Our scriptures mention three, tritap it's called. Three types of suffering. Adhyatmic suffering, it means physical pain that you get in your body. 
and mental pain that you get. Number two, adibhautik suffering, the suffering which is caused to you by other living beings, other people, other animals, insects, etc. And adibhaivik ta, adibhaivik suffering is that suffering which is caused to you by the elements, by extreme cold, extreme hot, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, volcanoes, those kind of forces of nature which cause suffering. So these kind, these three kinds of suffering afflict every being under the bondage of maya. In other words, the one who has not known God and thereby crossed over maya is afflicted by these three types of suffering. So some say that getting freedom from these, all three types of suffering is the aim, the ultimate aim. But we saw yesterday that just because you're not experiencing suffering doesn't mean you're experiencing happiness. And I gave the example of when you sleep at night, it's actually a state of no experience when you go into a deep dreamless sleep, which we call sushupti avastha. In that state, all of your senses are inactive, your mind is inactive, so you don't think anything, you don't feel anything, you don't know anything, you don't experience anything. So, okay, you're not experiencing unhappiness, but you cannot say that you're experiencing happiness either. But if you're experiencing happiness, it automatically includes relief from sorrow. You can't say, I'm happy and also be suffering. True happiness means perfect happiness. Yo vai bhuma tat sukham True happiness means unlimited happiness and perfect never-ending happiness which is never stained or disrupted by even a little bit of unhappiness. So, if you're happy, you're not sad. It goes without saying. But just because you're not sad doesn't mean you're happy. So, there's one story. One time, uh, Yamraj came for a young husband named Satyavan. And Satyavan's wife, Savitri, she said, no, 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 you can't take my husband. You can't take my husband. Now, Yamraj said to her that, uh, no, there's uh, nothing I can do. It's his time. I can't, uh, I can't alter that. When someone's time comes, I have to take it. So, Savitri kept following him. As he took Satyavan, she kept following. So, in the end, Yamraj said, okay, you're so persistent I can't give you your husband back, but I'll give you a boon. Ask for whatever you want. So Savitri said, you'll give me anything? Yamaraj said, I said, didn't I? Ask. Savitri said, okay. I want 100 sons. Yamaraj said, tathastu. So be it. Just like that without thinking. And then took Satyavan and kept going. Again, Savitri is following him. Yamraj, a little exasperated at this point, turns around and says, You're still following me? 
I told you you can't have your husband and I gave you the boon of a hundred sons. She said, Ek baat batao ki pati ke bina so putra kaise honge? You have to give me my husband back. How else will I have 100 sons? Oh. <laughs> so he made Satyavan to live again and he went back with Savitri and they had 100 sons. In other words, if you get one, the other has to be included. So if you get Paramananda Prapti, then Dukhanivritti is yours. It goes without saying. So the true ultimate aim of all souls is to attain divine happiness, perfect bliss. Even Shankaracharya, yesterday I told you that the Brahma Sutra is one of the six Darshan Shastras. So the first five Darshan Shastras, Purva Mimansa, Nyai, Vaisheshik, Sankhya, Yog, they focus on relief from sorrows, permanent relief from suffering. But the final, the Vedant, the Brahma Sutra, which is like the, the final chapter in these six Darshan Shastras, the ultimate knowledge of those six Darshan Shastras, it has a slightly different view which has been interpreted by past great saints, like the Jagat Gurus. Now Shankaracharya, when he wrote his Bhashya on the Brahma Sutra, he also said, no, the goal is relief from sorrow, apavarga, moksha. Moksha is like when you go to sleep at night and you get relief from sorrow, but imagine if that sleep were extended forever. That's moksha. The state of, in the state of moksha, a soul goes beyond maya and merges into formless God and their mind which was Maya, stays here. It's part of Maya. So they merge in God and never experience anything ever again. Like a permanent, perfect divine sleep with no experience. So initially Shankaracharya taught that this is the ultimate goal. Other Jagadgurus, Jagadguru Ramanujacharya, Jagadguru Nimbarkacharya, Jagadguru Madhvacharya, as well as Vallabhacharyaji. They all said, no, 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 the ultimate aim is Ananda Prapti, not just Dukha Nivritti. And later on, in Shankaracharya's later writings, not his early writings when he wrote Bhashya of Brahma Sutra, in his later writings like Prabodh Sudhakar, which was actually his last work, the verses you sing, after the Arti, Yamuna, Nikata, Tata, Sthita, it's the beautiful description of Krishna, Sakar, Brahm. Shankaracharya wrote that as a way of meditating on Krishna. That's also from Prabodh Sudhakar. So in Prabodh Sudhakar, he says, Asmakam yadunandanam dhriyugaladhyavadhanathinam Kim lokena damena kim nripatina Svargapavargaishcha kim He says, I only want to have devotion 
to the lotus feet of Shri Krishna in my heart. I just want to keep those lotus feet in my mind all the time. I don't want swarg, I don't want apavarg. Swarg, the celestial abodes, and apavarg, moksha, liberation. So this is what he wrote later, meaning he also wants paramananda prapti. He is indicating that the ultimate goal of a soul is perfect happiness, what we call anand. It's not just relief from sorrows, because just relief from sorrows does not include the experience of anand. And as we learned yesterday, anand and brahm are the same thing, one and the same. Yesterday I explained that because of this, you can say that every person desires only God. Since we all desire happiness, and that's the highest goal, and the only goal that a soul keeps in his heart, then you could say that every soul desires only God and nothing else. What about other happiness that we might get in this world? See, there are some different, uh, let me take you into a little deeper discussion of happiness. Because listening to me, you might be thinking, okay, param anand, supreme happiness, divine happiness. Okay, these are just words, but I get happiness already from the world. So is that not happiness? You're saying, I want to experience happiness, that's what your soul wants, is true happiness. So aren't we already getting that from the world? So let's look at a few different scenarios. Happiness is actually supposed to be a substantially existing thing. You probably never thought of that. It's supposed to be a substance, a tattva. Not just an idea or a feeling, but a fact. And a fact has an actual existence, and an actual existence is substantial. We call that a tattva. So true happiness is real. It's a substantially existing thing. So if, if you're thinking, okay, happiness actually exists, it's a real thing, a real substance, then let's say, take number one. Does such happiness exist in the vishay of this world? Vishay means the objects of our senses. There's two kinds of vishay in the world. Jara and Chetan. Jara means non-living things, like this harmonium, the marble, the lights, the TV, your car, money. These are non-living things. And Chetan, living things. Your family, your friends, your pets, these are living things. So does happiness exist substantially in these things? These are the things we experience. And we get some kind of experience from them that seems like happiness, but if you examine it more deeply, and you think, okay, does real, substantial happiness exist in the objects of the senses? No. Why not? Because if that were the case, you could go on enjoying the same thing forever 
and the amount of happiness you're getting from that thing would never reduce. Just take um, something like your favorite food. Could be chocolate, could be rasgulla, whatever it is. When you eat it, you feel a certain level of happiness the first bite. The second bite, everybody experiences that the happiness reduces. The third bite, it reduces even more. Fourth bite, even more. Eventually, the happiness is gone. And in fact, if you were to keep eating the same thing, when you pass that point, now that same thing is going to make you unhappy. So, ask yourself, is there real happiness in that thing when it can also give you unhappiness? Take a living thing. A person. Oh, I love you. You spend time with that person, you feel so happy. So you could say, oh, there's happiness in that person. But the same person can make you unhappy. The very same person you love, if they behave in a negative way towards you, if they treat you badly, then you're getting unhappiness from them. So if there's really happiness in that person, you should just be able to keep enjoying it all the time. Even if you sit your favorite person, the one you love the most in the whole world in front of you, you feel so happy when you see their face. Okay, what if I put a head brace on you and made you look only at their face and you couldn't turn to the side, you couldn't close your eyes, you only had to keep looking at their face for one hour, two hours, whole day. Will that face keep giving you happiness? No. It's just like staring at the same painting or the same beautiful scene in nature. People drive all the way across the country to go and see the Grand Canyon. And then they stand on the edge and say, Oh, wow, it's so great. One minute, two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. Okay, okay, let's go. Let's go see the next thing, the next beautiful thing. Well, if there was happiness in that scene, just stay and keep drinking it. No. People go all the way to France, to Paris, to the Louvre, to see famous paintings like the Mona Lisa. But how long are they going to stand there staring at it? Oh, it's so great. If someone has some appreciation of art, they may be thoroughly impressed, mesmerized. But then after 15, 20, 30 minutes, okay, now I'm bored. No, 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 keep looking at it. No, no, no. Now... Now that same painting, if you had to keep looking at it, you'll hate it. <laughs> you'll never want to see it again. So this is the state of worldly things, the objects, whether they be living or non-living in this world, they can't be said to contain happiness because we don't, the, the amount of happiness would have to remain stable and it would have to be experienced by everybody. If two people go to look at the Grand Canyon, one who cares nothing for nature scenes and one who just loves nature. So the one who loves nature, he may stand there for an hour. Oh, wow, feeling so happy before he eventually gets bored. And the other person may not even bother to get out of the car. Wow, who cares? So if there was actual happiness in such things, then everybody should 
always agree on the amount of happiness in a particular thing, whether it be food, a person, we don't all like the, the same people in the same way. So it means that happiness cannot be said to exist substantially in the objects of the world. Okay then, number two. Is happiness inherently present in our senses? We experience some amount of happiness, so if it's not in the objects, is it in the senses? No, it can't be said to be in the senses, because if you remove the object, the senses don't keep giving you happiness, right? If you're enjoying looking at something or someone and you remove that object, then your enjoyment is finished. So, happiness is not inherently present in your senses. Okay, number three. There's nine of these, by the way. Number three. Is happiness inherently present in the act of enjoying? The karma. When you're enjoying something, you're doing karma. Oh, this rasgulla is so good. That thought is a karma. The act of eating the rasgulla is a karma. The happiness you experience in karma doesn't, you see, karma doesn't give its result until the next life. That's the way it works. You do karma, you get the result in the next life. So, the what you're getting from your karma, that pal, it's not a direct thing. It's indirect because it comes in the next life. So it's kind of like saying that uh, fire has the power to heat, the power to burn, dahakatva. So that you can say that's the dharma of fire. That power is inherently present in fire. But is it the dharma of fire to cook food? No, that's indirect. You can use it for that. The dharma of fire is heat and light. So something like this, our karma don't give the fruit, our actions don't bear fruit immediately in this life, they bear fruit in the next life. So happiness cannot be said to be inherently present in karma. Can it be said to be inherently present in any place, such as this earth planet? Oh, I get so much happiness here. Yes, but you also get unhappiness. And you desire to go somewhere better, like going to Swarg. And over there in Swarg, they have trouble with Rakshasas and Asuras. So you, you can't say that happiness is the dharm of that sthan over there either. That's number four. So happiness is not the dharm of the Vishay. Happiness is not the dharm of the Indriya. Happiness is not the dharm of the Karma. Happiness is not the dharma of the sthan. Is happiness the dharma of the bhokta, us? No, because we also experience dukkha, unhappiness. So how can we say that happiness is our inherent nature? It's not. Okay, some people say ignorance is bliss. So is sukh the dharma of agyan? No. Knowledge is required for happiness. You see, 
If you put a million dollar diamond in front of a jeweler and say, it's yours, take it, he'll be happy because he knows the value of it. If you put that same million dollar diamond in front of the jeweler's four-year-old son, he won't care. He won't get any happiness from that diamond. He's ignorant of the value of that diamond. So you cannot say that the sukh, the happiness, is the dharm of the... It's not the dharm of the bhokta, nor is it the dharm of agyan. Okay then, is it the dharm of gyan? No. Because when you get gyan, when you get the true knowledge of God, and who am I? I belong to God. God is divine. Then you get detachment from that, the worldly enjoyments. <laughs> so, gyan cannot be said to be, you can say that dharma, the dharma of gyan, the inherent intrinsic quality of dhyan, of jnana is not happiness. Okay? What about when your senses just totally stop working? Meaning, when you go to sleep. You're in deep sleep. No, because at that time you could also dream. When you fall asleep, you're not seeing anything, right? You're not hearing anything. If you fall asleep in my speech, your ears are still there. So your indriya is still there, yet you're not hearing anything. So when you sleep, the work of your senses is stopped. Yet in your dream, you can still suffer. You can still be sad. You can still feel pain. So it means that just because your senses have stopped working, it doesn't mean you're going to get happiness. And finally, is dukhnivritti, is the dharma of dukh nivritti sukh? No, we already talked about this. Just because you're totally released from all the sorrows does not mean you're experiencing happiness. So it means that according to this, true happiness that exists as a real substantial fact does not exist in anything in this world or even in the state of moksha because you don't get to experience it. So you have to go beyond all of that. You have to actually attain God, experience God, know God. Then you can get your ultimate goal of happiness. Now there's still one question left out. By the way, in Ramayan, Tulsidasji sums up all of this by saying, Soi sukha lavalesh barek sapane hulahau Te nahi ganahi khagesh Brahma sukhahi sajjan sumati He says what to say of worldly pleasures when someone has experienced the divine bliss of God then even Moksha is like nothing for him. That state of liberation is of no interest, is nothing for him. What to say of the pleasures and the so-called happiness of this world? So say Sanakadik Paramahansa as quoted by Tulsidas Ji in the Ramayana. So now let's come back to a question that keeps popping up. Why do we want happiness? 
I told you we all want happiness and happiness is God. So we're all devoted to God because He is happiness. But why do we want happiness? Were we ever taught? No. It's not a lesson you have to learn in school. It's not something your parents have to teach you at any age, which is amazing when you come to think of it. That we're all desiring for happiness, yet we were never taught that. We have to be taught everything. Even to recognize our own mother, our mother had to do so much abhyas with us. I'm your mother. Call me mummy. Thousands of times she had to tell us that. Then we knew, oh, this is my mother. Okay. When we had to have so much help to learn such a simple and basic thing, how is it that we all know to desire for happiness without ever being taught? From the moment we're born, we know it. In fact, we scream it. We proclaim it to the world. The moment a child is born, the child cries. What is that crying? It's like a slogan. Even though he can't speak a word, he's, he's making it known. What? That he doesn't like pain. He wants happiness. This being born, mm, I didn't like that at all. So he's crying to get the pain out. And in doing so, he's proclaiming to the world that I want happiness. So a newborn baby already knows that he wants happiness from the moment he's born. He doesn't have to be taught. Then where does that knowledge come from? Where does the desire for happiness come from? When there's so much variation and variety in the world, wouldn't it be possible that one day someone was born who desired to be unhappy? See, people's desires are so different. Someone likes alcohol, someone hates alcohol, someone likes to smoke, someone hates the smell of cigarette smoke, someone likes to watch TV, someone prefers to watch, read a book. Everybody's desires are so different. Why is it that we all desire happiness? At least someone should have been born from eternity until now who desired to be unhappy instead of desiring to be happy. But it never happened. And there's a reason behind it. Chinmatram Shri Hare Ransham Sukhmamacharamavyayam Ved says that all the souls are ansh of Bhagwan. Ansh means we're a part of him, we belong to him. Mamaivansho jivaloke jivabhuta sanatana. Gita. Shri Krishna says, all the souls are my eternal anch. Eternal anch. We never became his anch. We're eternally a part of him. Ansho nana vyapadesha. Brahma Sutra. Same thing. All the uncountable souls are anch of Bhagwan. Ishwara Ansha Jeeva Avinashi Chetan Amal Sahaj Sukharashi 
What is this word anch? It's like uh, if you pick up a clump of earth. That's anch, and the earth it would be called anshi. So the anch is a part of something greater. The anshi is the whole, and the anch is a part. So every anch has a natural love for or attraction to its anshi. It's a law of nature. You see, if you pick up a clump of dirt, a clod of earth, now you've separated it from its anshi. That's the anshi. This is the anch. They're separate. Why? Because you're holding it. Release it, what happens? Immediately, it's pulled by that inherent attraction between the anshi and the anch immediately joins the earth. A drop of water is anch of the ocean. Any drop of water that falls anywhere on this globe, what does it do? It's pulled inexorably downstream until it joins the ocean. The anch is naturally attracted to its anchi and it can never rest until it enters into its anchi. So we are separate from God. But we have a desire to experience God, to know God, to be with God. Why? Because we're His anch. He is our anchi. It's as simple as that. So that's why it's innate to every soul to desire God. It's an incontrovertible characteristic of the soul, unchangeable. Every soul is already unch of God, so every soul is already attracted to God from inside. It's not even a thought, it's not something we decided, it just is, it's part of our identity. We all desire God because we are His Anch. And since God is happiness, we also experience that desire for God as a desire for happiness. And here we get confused. If we don't know this philosophy, then we just feel, oh, I have to be happy. Let me enjoy the world because God is Adrishya for us. We cannot see Him. So the desire for happiness is that indication that the soul is actually desiring God. But what I mean is, a soul can't know on his own that that inner feeling, the urge to attain happiness, the soul can't know on his own that that urge is actually the urge to find God. So if, we're, if we don't have the correct spiritual knowledge, that urge will, will make us feel restless, of course it does, and due to that restlessness, we tirelessly seek happiness in this world. It's natural and normal, but when we get the right information, then we know, oh, but happiness doesn't substantially exist in the objects of this world. Happiness is actually God. And my inner urge is actually the urge to experience God, then you can direct your efforts in the right direction. Otherwise, it's like doing mantan, churning, chune kapani. Chune kapani is like uh, lime water, it's white, 
like milk. But you have to churn milk to get butter. If you churn the chune kapani, you can keep churning for your whole life. You'll never get butter out of that. Why? Because you put your effort in the wrong place. If you put your effort in the right place, you'll get the right result. So we can be as stubborn as we want. Oh no, I'm going to find happiness in this world. All you get is shram, effort. No proper result. Because you're churning the lime water, hoping to get butter. There's no no possibility of even getting butter. It doesn't matter how much hope you have. So this is our situation. We're all anshav bhagwan. Thus we all desire God who is happiness and that desire for happiness is felt by every soul. How long have we been pursuing this happiness? Again, no beginning since eternity. Souls are eternal. God is eternal. Maya is eternal. The three things that are referred to in the mantra that I opened with, all three are eternal, according to Vedas. Bhokta bhogyam preritarancamatva sarvam proktam trividham brahmametat ajamekam lohita shukla krishnam vahvi praja srijamanam sarupa ajoyeko jushamano nushete jahatyenam bhukta bhogam ved again says all three are eternal souls god maya so think about it we've been here forever we had no beginning it means God didn't make us and we didn't make God and God didn't make Maya and Maya didn't make God and we didn't make Maya and Maya didn't make us nobody had to create anybody because all three tattva have existed since eternity that's what eternal means Na sato vidyate bhavo na bhavo vidyate sata gita. A substantially existing thing cannot cease to exist. It's an impossibility which is acknowledged by modern science with the first law of thermodynamics. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. So, our soul. It's a form of divine energy. It cannot be created or destroyed. God cannot be created or destroyed. Maya, the cosmic energy, cannot be created or destroyed. So if it exists today, it must have existed forever. If we exist today, which we know we do, we must have existed forever. And we will continue to exist forever. And of course, God has been here forever and He will continue to exist forever. 
So since forever, we've been seeking happiness. Since forever, we've been an unch of God, thus we're desiring happiness, but maya is separating us from God. We're under the bondage of maya, thus we're unable to experience God's bliss. So even though God is omnipresent, yet be, and He's even within us, yet because we're under the bondage of maya, we're unable to experience Him. So we say we're separate from Him. When did this separation begin? It never began. When did we come under the bondage of Maya? Never. We've always been under the bondage of Maya. God never kicked us out, said, okay, go be under Maya now. I'm tired of you guys. Like when your kids misbehave, you send them to the bedroom. Oh, I need some peace and quiet. Go play in your room for a while. So like that, did God get tired of us being in his divine abode and said, Oh, you guys go and play in Maya for a while. Tired of this. Let's see if you can get back to me. <laughs> no, it never happened. Sada pasyanti suraya tad vishno paramam padam ved. Once you attain God, that's forever. You can't come back under the bondage of Maya after you attain God. So had we been with God, we could have never come under Maya. Thus, this proves that since we're under Maya together today, we must have been under Maya since eternity. But it doesn't have to last forever. If we attain God, we're freed from Maya. How to accomplish this, this is what we're going to talk about in this series. Now you understand that this search for happiness never began. We've been bereft of true happiness and seeking it since eternity every moment. Because nahikaschit chanamapi jatutishthatya karmakrit gita. Our mind never rests for a minute. And as long as it's active, it's only active for one thing. How to find, where to find happiness. So imagine, we've been desiring happiness and we've been actively pursuing it every moment since eternity. Yet, we failed. We failed to attain that happiness. Ved says, Ihache dave di tatha sat O souls who currently inhabit a human body, listen up. You better try to find God in this life. If not, great harm could come to you. What harm? Ihache dashakat bodhum prak sharirasya visra saha. Tatah sargeshu lokeshu sharīratvāya kalpate. The first verse was from Kathopanishad. This one is from Kenopanishad. It means if we don't attain God in this life, we may not get a human birth in the next life. So it means there's something very, very special about having received this human birth. Extra emphasis is being put on those souls who inhabit a human body. 
Although a soul can enter into any of the 8.4 million species of existence, Chaurasi Lakh Yoni, why is so much importance being given to the human form? That, oh soul, you currently inhabit a human form? Better find God now. Otherwise, great harm could come to you. You could be forced to go and take birth many times over in all those other species before you get another human birth. So, why is that an undesirable thing compared to being born as human? You can come back and find out tomorrow as I continue this series where we cover the essence of Sanatan Dharma and talk about the significance of doing bhakti to Radha Krishna. Uliye Vrindavan Bihari Lal Ki Jai